Let me know when we are good. I'll just hover the field. We're good. Okay. Coming in. Prayer that connects. I think this is part nine. And uh, I've been sharing for the past several weeks out of uh, Leviticus, the exciting book of Leviticus, um, 10 requirements for preparing to come and have a successful prayer engagement with God. When we pray, God intends to connect with us. And so in, in Leviticus chapter 16, God laid out for Aaron, the first, five, the first high priest, 10 steps that he was to take to prepare himself to come into the most holy place and to receive the blessing of the atonement. Now, what I want to say to you is, although we don't practice these 10 rituals, um, we, however, do practice their fulfillment. These 10 preparations to have successful connection, successful prayer, were symbolized through these specific acts that God gave detailed instruction to Aaron to have to uh, follow out. But each of them have a corresponding meaning in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So it's the meaning that we're going after. And God's standard of holiness, his requirement for holiness, has not changed. I am the Lord, I am holy, I don't change. Because I am holy, you must be holy. And thank God Jesus came and made a way for us to be holy. And so these ten rituals then turn into ten areas of our relationship with Jesus. The first seven we've gone through already. They are, number one, appropriate God's grace. Number two, put on righteousness. Number three, put on truth and honesty. Number four, be cleansed with the word. Number five, worship God. Number six, separate yourself. Number seven, from last week, believe in the blood. Get that message, hallelujah. And this morning, we find this morning's message in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 25, when we go to the scene of the sacrifice being lifted up in the flames that uh, the Lord sent upon the altar, the Bible says, then he, Aaron, is to offer up or to burn the fat. Everyone say the fat. He is to offer up or to burn the fat of the sin offering in the smoke on the altar. Now, fat in the Bible represents excess or glory. It's actually a positive thing. In our modern culture, everybody's striving to be thin. When I'm over in Africa, um, thin people got no status. If you've got some heft, some weight, you're a big man. You're an important man. Same with the women. Men, men love their husbands with some weight because in their culture, it uh, speaks of prominence, power, prosperity. And so, so it is in, in the ancient world of the Bible, fatness corresponds to excess or to glory. And it certainly does spiritually in terms of what God is trying to say about offering up the fat and not to keep it for yourself, not to take it off of the altar. So in the eighth requirement for entering God's presence, he instructs us to give him all the glory. 
Burn all the fat in that offering. Lift up to me the fat. Give me the excess. Give me all the glory. Now, let me just remind you what glory really means. I know that we know that glory means to exalt. Glory means to boast. Glory means to shine. All of those metaphors are accurate. However, if you uh, look from an analytic standpoint and, and want to say, well, what really is the glory of anything? Because everything that God creates has a glory. Stars have a glory. Dolphins have a glory. Eagles have a glory. Man has a glory. So what is the glory of every created thing but the beauty of its function? It is the function that God designed, God intended function in each thing that God created that really holds its glory. We see the eagle soaring in the sky. We say that that eagle's in its glory. We see the dolphins flipping, uh, leaping. They're in their glory. Man was designed to know and to give reflective glory to God, to rule and to reign. We were made, the Bible says, in the image and likeness of God. And so we were designed to rule and reign. Now, every glory has an environment that it works in. Take it out of that environment, it won't work. If you take the eagle from the sky and try to plunge him into a, the Gulf of Mexico, he's not going to be able to do his glory underwater. Likewise, if you take the dolphin and you drop him out of an airplane, he's not going to be able to do his glory in the sky. They need to be in the environment God created them in, in order to glory. You and I were designed, conceived, birthed, and made in the presence of God. And God spoke with Adam every single day and fellowshiped. And in the garden was the glory of the presence of God. And Adam walked in his glory, did his glory, functioned in his glory, ruled and reigned in the presence of God. But when he left the presence of God, he lost or perverted his glory. He can't do his thing outside of the presence of God. And for 6,000 years, we have a painful, wicked history of humanity trying to glory and just creating a trail, a 6,000-year trail of misery and of tears. We cannot glory in the environment of this fallen world, our fallen life. Can you say praise the Lord if you get what I'm talking about? But let me say to you that uh, so that the glory of anything is in its function, that means that God has the unique, the unique position of deserving all glory as the creator. So let me just remind you that all such glory, whether it's the soaring of the eagle or the dolphin, none of those created things made themselves that way. They're able to do those things, but not because they created those abilities. So who gets the glory for the dolphin? Who gets the glory for man? The creator. God gets the glory. So God says to Aaron, if you want to come into my presence, you must give me all the glory. You cannot come into my presence and just acknowledge me in certain religious areas, 
but acknowledge yourself or give credit to mankind in other areas. If you come before me thinking that you're something, you come before me thinking that you can handle this or I can do that, we are going to have a conflict, God says, because all the fat belongs to me. Praise the Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, that may seem a little bit cruel because um, designed into us is a natural hunger for glory. Athletes strive for glory. Artists strive for glory. People their whole lives, soldiers strive for a certain glory. People strive their whole life, and they may not call it glory, but they're striving for that place of excellence, that place of boasting, that place of wonder. And it's built into us. It is, it is uh, uh, natural to our design. We crave glory because glory is central to the purpose for which God designed us. We were created to shine forth His glory. You know 1 Peter 2.9, you are a peculiar people, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Into, and there's so many others that if you think about it, they'll come to mind, how that we are called to reflect glory. So we naturally crave glory. But the fall that Adam and Eve took that drug us all down with them corrupted our use of glory by turning our focus inward upon self rather than outward and upward upon God who deserves the glory. Adam and Eve were happy as long as they were loving and looking at God. But the minute they allowed the lie of the devil to turn their eyes inward, the lie that suggested, well, there's more to you than what God's, he's hiding something from you. There's a, there's a glory in you that you have all to yourself. I'm just helping you to discover it and to unlock it. And when they believed that lie, they corrupted their use of glory. And so the Bible says that Paul in Philippians chapter 3 writes, for many walk of whom I have often told you, and now I tell you even weeping, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. There is the diagnosis. There is the technical diagnosis of sin. Paul lays it out right there. Enemies of the cross of Christ. The cross was meant to strip us from that sin that turns our search for glory inward, realign us with relationship to God. But there are many who are the enemies of the cross because they continue to glory in themselves. And when they do, they're glorying in their corruption, glorying in their shame. And I'm sure probably in your mind you could just scroll through a couple of examples of how we see this every day paraded before us in our culture. And not just in our secular culture, we see it in our religious culture. We see, we see in religion people exalting in their spirituality, exalting in themselves taking glory, taking credit 
for themselves, acknowledging their own spirituality. Many, many years ago, the Lord just dropped a wonderful key into my spirit and told me, I never told my people to pursue spirituality. That's why I gave them Jesus. Jesus will give them the Holy Ghost and baptize them with fire, and he'll make them spiritual. But you're not to try to be spiritual. And I know the Bible, don't get tedious with me. Don't want anyone coming up arguing with me after the service. I know all those verses too. But I know what God's talking about. He's talking about pursuing Jesus and letting him make you spiritual rather than trying to turn yourself into this spiritual wonder. Can you say amen? amen. God will always resist a created being trying to claim glory that's owed to the creator. He will always hold back, resist any created being that does not give him all the glory and tries to hold back credit and boasting for him or herself. For God says in Isaiah 42 and 8, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. I wish I could just stop and preach on that verse because there's a lot in there. But let me just say, though, he says, I am the Lord, that is my name. What a statement of reality. He is saying, I'm called Lord because that's what I am. Now, we humans, we can prance around and call ourselves all kinds of things. But we are what we are before God. That's why the Apostle Paul said, <laughs> I am what I am by the grace of God. That's the I am that I claim that I am. I am what I am in God's grace. So God is the one who determines what I is. <laughs> and God said, I am the Lord. Everything began with me. Everything has extended from me. I am the creator. That is my name. And he says, my glory I give to no other. Why? Because no other is the creator. No one else is the Lord. If there was another Lord, God would certainly, because he is righteous, he'd say, there's uh, not just Jesus Christ, there's Jennifer Christ, and, you know, and there's Ralph Christ. We've got three or four of them around here. And he would acknowledge and give them glory. But he says, I am the Lord, there is no other beside me. So God is not going to break from reality and truth just to accommodate the foolish and idiotic trends of egotistical people who are drunk on idolatry. Because God is real. And you don't get to determine the boundary of reality because you like to think of it that way. It is what it is. You say, how come that is? Because I am said so. When you can say, I am, I exist, I am self-existent, then you get to set the boundary of reality. I am the Lord. I will not tolerate my glory being given to another or my praise to carved idols. Now, we think of carved idols just picture the totem pole and carved idols or the, the, uh, the, 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 the stone idols we see uh, carved in relief on ancient idol temples and things like that. 
But think of man. The, the greatest idol that man has ever worshipped is man himself, humanism. And God is essentially saying, what are you when you take my glory but a carved idol? You were carved. You were cut out. You were made. God said, I am eternal. Go find my beginning and then we can talk about. Are you listening to me? Show me where I started. Your mind can't even wrap its arms around the concept of eternity. So you can't even have that conversation with God. Everybody today wants to dialogue. We need to have a conversation. But we're living in a world of fools wanting to talk and dialogue foolishness with one another. God said, I will not give my praise to carved idols. Now, the reason for this, and I want you to, if you're a note taker, write this down. Glory is the confirmation of reality. Glory is the confirmation of reality. You can have opinions. You can devise scientific theories. You can come up with theological concepts. But then there's reality. And the hope of science is to discover reality. The hope of theology is to figure out reality. The hope of faith is to believe what's real. Not what accommodates me. Not what accommodates what I'd like to believe. But accommodates what is. Hallelujah. So glory is there shining over what is. Not what people think or want. But what is? It is the confirmation of reality. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky displays His handiwork. And the scripture goes on to say that day after day, night after night, though they have no voice that you can hear, they declare and decree nonstop 24-7 forever. God made us. The heavens declare the glory. Glory is the confirmation of reality. And the reason why God will not give his glory to another is also because reality is unalterably fixed in the thing we call the truth. Pilate was right to say to Jesus, what is truth? Because in Pilate's world, he'd never heard anybody speak the truth. Pilate at least knew, I'm living among a bunch of jesters called wise men, teachers, religious people, and none of them know what they're talking about. What is truth? He hears Jesus say, I have come to be the witness of the truth. And he says, what is truth? I've gotten this far in life, and at least I've got this much wisdom. I haven't heard truth yet. If he was 48 years old, Pilate said, I'm 48. I still haven't heard any truth. So reality is unalterably fixed in the truth. So if God were to allow the stolen glory of man, if he were to permit people to take glory to themselves, he would be encouraging men to fantasize about the devil's original lie. 
The devil came and spoke to Adam after God had told him clearly the truth. I've given you everything. Here I am, I'm me. Here you are and your wife. You too. You're you. Here is your domain. Here is your mission. Here is your life, your existence, your purpose, your meaning. And here over here is the knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch that. Because if you do, it's going to have a bad effect on you. In fact, the moment that you touch it, if you do, if you take that fruit, if you eat that, dying, you will die. You will enter something you don't even know, you can't imagine, but it's called death. And in fact, it's a one-word description for separation from God. Well, that doesn't sound so bad. You haven't experienced it yet. If the I am has bound reality... And being ejected from I am, where does that put you? It puts you in an existence, however unreal and unimaginable it may be. People can call it hell, outer darkness, or whatever you want to call it. But what it is, is separation from God. And it ejects you and puts you outside the bounds of truth and reality. Don't eat that. Don't believe that. God knew the whole time. There was a plan, I don't have the time to describe why it was there, but it's a brilliant plan. Here comes the devil, and he counsels. Be careful who you listen to. He counsels Adam and Eve. He says, listen, listen to me. God's very busy. He doesn't have time to really get into all the details. I'm here to tell you that God knows that if you eat that, I know we told you not to, but he's really challenging you. He wants to see if you have initiative. He wants to see if you can be more than just compliant. If you could show some creation, some creativeness in your thinking to even go up against him. Go up against what he says. Just, just show some initiative. He made you in his image and likeness. Listen to the conversation. Listen to how he lays it out. We just have one sentence in the Bible, but in that sentence is a whole book, a whole pamphlet luring him into the cult of self. God knows that there is a glory that is independent in you. You can glory in yourself. You'll be like God. knowing You'll be like Him. And God really wants that. So go ahead. It's all right. And Adam did it. He took it. Now you can sit there and say, Oh God, why? how foolish can you be? But you know what? Looking in the rearview mirror, everyone's a, everyone, a Monday morning quarterback can be a genius. They did it. Are you listening to me? They did it. They, they, they did it. And if God were to permit us today to take glory or refuse to give glory to Him, and this is what I'm getting at this morning, is that we need to give God all the glory. If we want to have prayer life that connects with God, you can't be a person who holds glory back from God. You can't be a person who's too proud to give God glory. You can't be a person who doesn't like to hear yourself giving God glory because you don't think you sound eloquent or religious. You need to give Him the fat. Give Him the excess. Give Him the glory. Giving God the glory means that you acknowledge His worth for glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
And so if God were to encourage anything otherwise, it is simply encouraging man to fantasize about the lie of the devil. To begin to imagine, well, maybe there is glory in me. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe I really can take some credit for myself. And then if God allows that, that's called idolatry. Idolatry is more than just uh, a celebration of fools. Idolatry is furthering the death and destruction of the lie. Ultimately, when you withhold glory from God, when you take glory to yourself, what you are doing is you are furthering the curse. You are furthering the death that sits upon that curse. Adam's attempt to steal God's glory separated the entire human race from God. And it put us in conflict with God. Because when you're in conflict with God's glory, you're in conflict with God. Think about that. When you're in conflict, if you don't have a good relationship with the glory of God, you don't have a good relationship with God. If there's problems in your life with giving God the glory, you, there's problems in your life with God. Because glory is the confirmation of reality. And there are a lot of Christians today that carry secret faith in their heart, but they don't like giving God glory. They don't like rejoicing in the Lord. They don't like magnifying the Lord. They don't like to lift Him up because it's out of character for them. You should put that character under the microscope and take a look at it and you should examine it and say, Why don't I want to give God glory? What is it in me that doesn't want to say, Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And now I know that nobody's going to go back to the evil Satan and say, It's because I hate God. It's because I love the devil. Nobody's going to come to that conclusion. We're all going to stop at the point of our nature. And we're going to say, I'm just not like that. I'm not cut out that way. It's not my way. Uh, you know, my family, we're not that way. I wasn't raised that way. We mind earthly things. And we don't even know that we are becoming enemies of the cross of Christ. We were called, saved, and destined to shine. And to give God glory. And in a moment, hallelujah, I'm going to tell you why. So, Adam's conflict with glory, his trying to steal glory, put the entire human race outside of relationship with God. But proper understanding and relationship with God's glory brings you back into harmony with God. So that he could shine his light of glory upon you. And here comes the good part. I said earlier in this message, God is not cruel. He's not saying, I don't want you to feel the wonderful feeling, the emotional fulfillment, the exhilaration of, of glory. No, God created you to feel those feelings. In fact, your mind and its capacity, your emotions... Everything about you, your appetite, those were all designed to be filled by experiencing glory. You were designed to glory, but not to glory as the creator. Not to take credit for yourself, your existence, or your accomplishments. Your glory is the reflected glory of favor. Yours 
is the glory of agape. Yours is the glory of the love of God being poured into your life. My glory is the fact that God loved me so much he sent his son into the world. He came, stepped from his eternal place and condescended into this misery that was my life so that he could love me, forgive me, cleanse me, lift me up. That's what I glory in. That's my rejoicing. I don't take credit for anything. People say, now, Nick, you know, you know you're a great athlete. I know, use your imagination. <laughs> Nobody has said that in a couple decades. But um, you know, you shouldn't, don't sell yourself short. You know, you, you, you're, you're smart, but that was a few brain cells ago. But no, no, I don't take any of that glory. Why would I do that? Because to the extent that I take glory for myself, to that extent, I'm robbing myself from the glory that God really wants to give me. My glory is to say, my Jesus loves me. He loves me. Whatever I am, it's Him in me. Whatever I've done, it's Him working in me. Even Jesus, when He came, He gave glory to the Father. He said, it's not me, it's the Father working in me. That was His glory. That's why the devil came to Him, and He said, the devil doesn't have anything in me. Because I never took credit apart from God. I'm here as the effulgence, the outflowing, the radiance of the glory of God. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen? So as we come down near the end of this, Isaiah says in Isaiah 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the people. But the Lord will arise upon you and His glory will be seen upon you. There's where our glory comes from. It is not taking glory for ourselves. It is the Lord bending over and picking us up. And we shine because He has picked us up. We are radiant. Because He has taken us. It is His love for you and His favor for you that makes you shine. So the Bible says, Arise and shine. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Darkness will cover the earth, gross darkness the people, but the Lord's light will be shown on you. Now there is a formula for the success of God's people and witness in whatever community they find themselves. Ours is the reflected glory of agape. When we shine forth the Father's love and favor, we are reflecting His greatness. We're giving Him praise and glory, and in turn, it is reflected back on us in the form of favor. And what does God's favor look like when it hits you? It looks a lot like healing. It looks a lot like deliverance. It looks a lot like peace. It looks a lot like prosperity. It looks a lot like the function of God. What is glory? But the function and the beauty of the function. So what is God's glory? God's glory is that He is love. He is perfect love. And in that love is healing and restoration. In His, in his love, Jesus healed all that came to Him. In His love, Jesus delivered all that came to Him. There was not a single one that Jesus kicked to the curb. Everyone that humbled themselves and came were willing to give him glory. Son of David, that was giving him glory. Lord, pouring out the oil on his feet 
washing. You see, everyone that gave him glory, what did they walk away with? His glory. His glory on them. Healing. Deliverance. The lame walked. The blind saw. Hallelujah. The dead were raised. That's the glory of reflective favor. Hallelujah. That is the glory that God wants to shine upon you. Can you say amen? So if you want to have a prayer life that connects with God, learn the secret of giving Him glory. Give Him all the glory. And ask yourself as you enter into this season of fasting, am I a person who gives God the glory? And as you do, remember what the Scripture says. 1 Corinthians 1, 29 let the one who glories or boasts, glory or boast in the Lord. Hallelujah. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Because if I glory in the Lord, I walk away with everything. I walk away from the world and I walk into his presence. And in his presence, I'm not only made whole, I know who I am. And I'm in touch with reality. I'm walking in real reality. I'm out of the fictitious world where I have to continue to try to explain myself to myself. I know because he loves me. Hallelujah. Stand with me this morning. This is our altar call today. That God is restoring you and bringing you back into the glory He created you for. You were created not to try to discover your own inner human glory. Some, that is cheap. That is dollar store religion. You were designed to behold, stand in the presence, live forever, and radiate the limitless glory of the Most High God. You were designed to be loved and to love back. And in that love, hallelujah, look at all that He has for you and me. May the Lord bring us back to that place where we start realizing, oh my goodness, if I keep that thought before me, I will give him glory all the time. I'll give him glory through every situation. I will give him glory because he's worthy. And, you know, we are walking among sinners every day. Is our light switched on? The Bible says, if you love one another, you love me and love one another, the world will know that you're my disciples. Do they know it? Do they see it? Passing out bologna sandwiches is good. You know, doing, doing nice deeds, that's fine. The world does those things. But what is it about you that will open the eyes so the glorious light of the gospel shines on the unsaved? It's when you behold his glory and you love that glory and you will never diminish it and you do more than acknowledge it. You rejoice in it. You declare it. You magnify. You're not too cool to glorify Jesus. It's time to end. But boy, I'll tell you, there it is. You're not too.
too hip. You're not too cool. If you are, I feel sorry for you. I feel sorry for you because you've got a hard, little, few hard, more hard roads ahead of you before you come to reality. The reality is, is uh, you and I just need to give Him glory. Give Him glory. Give Him glory. Hallelujah. Lift up your hands to the Lord.